What time is it, you wonder? Well, it's time for Drinks with Tony on KPCRLP Santa Cruz 101.9 FM. Bum, bum, ba, bum, bum, sound. Tony Duchesne here. Welcome to episode 135 of Drinks with Tony. Ah, uh, in pandemic life, sometimes it's down, sometimes it's less down. And sometimes I can't even pretend that it's not dark. Uh, four weeks ago, I dedicated the show to my young friend, Adam, who had a heart attack completely out of nowhere. It's been a bumpy month of a ride. He's still in the hospital. Um, he- healing, two steps forward, one step fat back. The, he's in the fight. Uh, so I thought we'd be excited to have him home by now. And um, not yet. So his birthday is Thursday. I want to send out love to Adam and his family, as well as extended family and friends. We're all trying to move the healing energy his way. He's in a hospital in upstate New York. So if you have a Lord that answers your prayers or you're in sync with the universe to swirl some healing love around, send it Adam's way. In other news, next month, the free creative writing workshop that I teach through the Los Angeles Public Library is moved to Thursday, April 13th. For those of you who join us, remember to mark your calendar for this one time for a Thursday evening, and that's on April 13th. And now on with the show. Hi, this is Marissa Silver, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Marissa Silver, and she's the author of The Mysteries, coming out on May the 4th. So buy it immediately and get it on the release date. Hi, Marissa. Hi. <laughs> I, I like what you just said. Thank you. But it's on May the 4th. Do you, do, you know, do you know the Star Wars reference to that date? I'm sorry, do I have a what? Do you know the Star Wars reference to that date? Oh, I do not know the Star Wars reference. It irritates me every year. May the 4th be with you. Oh. See, I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. I love I love how uh, <laughs> un- how unexcited you are about that because I am too. <laughs> but I just said May the Fourth out loud, and then I was like, Oh my God, who am I? So you are you are who you are, and you know you got to embrace it. <laughs> yeah, even the bad stuff. How do we embrace? How do we embrace the stuff that we hate about ourselves? What do we do? Uh. Well, I, maybe we try to reframe the word hate. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. So what would it be a good word to reframe? Um, that I um, accept that there are, are many sides to myself, some of which I am going to try to work on. Oh, my God. Thank very you new, so much. Very new age you know. No, but, but yeah, but- hate doesn't get us very far. Yeah, I know. It's kind of It's kind of fun, though, to be jokey about it, but then at the same time, my friends are like, you know, you're being jokey about it, but you're actually like bringing it to you and you need to stop that. Right. You're, you're, it's like when you ask somebody, am I fat? Well, you know, yeah. you're saying you're, you're pointing out the exact flaw that you want them to tell you isn't there. Right. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> can I be any more good looking? No, actually you can't. You're, you're, <laughs> you've peaked. You've peaked. You are as good as it gets. <laughs> it's, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> it's my midlife crisis happening right now. So, um, so uh, you have a new novel coming out. What's it like? Because you've you've experienced this so much before. The yeah. anxiety, the exhilarating, the the wonderful, <laughs> the awful, 
Tell me everything. You know what it is? Well, first of all, this year, it's obviously a very different experience because it's all virtual. So it makes it both um, a little, a little uh, at a distance in a certain way because you're not getting on airplanes and going places and going to bookstores and meeting people. But at the same time, I don't know if you found this this year, but I have found that the virtual things that I do have almost a funny immediacy because I think we're all craving um, community so much that even these, these virtual experiences that are communal experiences feel even more communal in some sense because we all have the same goal. We're all just trying to connect in them in that moment. So um, in, that, in that way, it's, it's different, but it's kind of good and interesting. And um, I have done this a number of times and I feel fortunate every time I get to do it. I feel lucky, you know, every time a book is in a bookstore, it feels like some kind of luck. And um, if, you know, you work on a book for a number of years in the privacy of your room and your head, and it's really nice when people start to read it. You know, the, the for me, the, a book doesn't really complete itself until it's read. And then it completes itself many different ways because every reader is different and every reader takes something different from it. So the idea that, you know, I hope some people will read it and, and, and interpret it in their ways makes, you know, makes the book sort of become itself finally. When, when you're in the room and the privacy of yourself, how does, how does the book start? Does it start on the blank page? What, what's, what, what do you do to show up to make that, to make something that's nothing into something that's in a bookstore? You know, that is the hard part. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, writing is like an act of faith. Like every day you have to sort of tell yourself you can do it, it's okay that you're doing it and it's worthy to do it. And even if it looks horrible as you're doing it, it will eventually turn into something less than horrible. So that, those kind of, you know, th those thoughts are really kind of everyday, you know, thoughts I have to battle down. You know what I do is I just make it into a job, a job of work. I mean, it's not mystical. It's not about, you know, inspiration. It's not about the, the magic moment where it all descends on you. It's just about sitting down, putting your ass in the seat, excuse me, and um, writing words on the paper. And then, and then for me, I mean, people write in very many different ways, but for me, I sort of discover the book as I write it. I don't really start out with a preconceived notion of what it is or what it's gonna be. I start out maybe with some characters or with a, a little scene or a situation. And then I just start to write. And as I write, it becomes itself. And many, many wrong moves, many, you know, hitting walls, backing up, reangling, going forward again. But it's really not until the end of it that it, it sort of turns into what it is, which I guess is hard, makes it really hard and scary and feel like it's about to fail all the time. But it also makes it kind of exciting. It's, it's high stakes. Well, I mean, it's, you know, high stakes for me, but. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's, it, it is high stakes when we, for our individual selves because we are going, okay, let's chunk out these few years here. Right. And let's, yeah. let's try to do this. Yeah. I mean, as you're, as you're, you know, coming up against challenges and you're saying to yourself, this isn't going to work, this isn't going to work. You think, okay, well, that's another six months of my life. That's another year of my life. And, but it's kind of, you know, I've kind of made a commitment to myself that this is what I'm doing. And I, I guess I've done it enough times that I can at least say I've been here before, which doesn't make me necessarily have confidence that I'll figure it out, but it makes me feel like this is not 
strange what I'm going through. This is familiar. It's almost like getting a chainsaw cut on your arm and then it heals and then it happens again. And you're like, yeah. I know this heals. So yeah. Yeah. Well, but the other thing that I kind of, I mean, as, as hard as it is to make a book work and as long as it takes, you know, it, you have these moments of discovery that are kind of thrilling along the way, you know, and it's not only at the end, it's like the, every time you break through a little impasse, you learn something new about not only the book you're writing, but also about writing itself. And so that's, that's really thrilling for me. Isn't it cool that we're better writers today than we were yesterday, and yet tomorrow we'll be better than we were today? Yes, and it makes me very leery of going back and reading my books from before. <laughs> because I think, I don't know what kind of writer, I don't know if I want to know what kind of writer I was 10 years ago. Maybe I should just stick with what kind of writer I am now. Oh, it's, it's all, I, I, so I had to reread my book to write a screenplay. Uh-huh. And Horrible. it was, it was a very hard experience. There were some yeah. lovely surprises, but for the most part, I was like, at least I get to fix this in the screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I feel like? I feel like it's when you look at photographs of yourself from, you know, earlier decades where the the and you sort of have to be forgiving about that haircut and about that horrible um shirt style that you thought was so cool you have to just sort of say you know that's who I was then and I have to be kind to that person because she really you know she really believed in that yeah <laughs> and actually probably the collective conscious of population believed in it too so yes exactly there was so that you know but it is kind of, it's also, you know, writing or, I, I mean, I imagine this way with a lot of different things that people do, it's, you sort of track who you are through it, you know? I mean, one nice thing about, about thinking about older work is to sort of think, well, who was I when I was 30? Who was I? What did I think about? What did I care about? What did I, you know, what, yeah. what, it, what it, so that's kind of, it's like a little bit of a record. It is, and it's a scary record sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's, it's just, I, I, I have this thought just come to my mind because I got divorced when I was in my late thirties. So all my writing, because I had I I had never dated before that because I grew up a Jehovah's Witness and I was in a Jehovah's Witness marriage. So then I got divorced and all of a sudden I can date. And then all of my writing is just middle-aged dating. And I look back, it's so pathetic. <laughs> just like, but you had like, that's what you had to say. That's what you had to, you know. Yeah. We're back to I don't hate my you can't hate yourself. You have to sort of just honor that's who you were then it's yeah it's um I just look at it with sadness and emptiness when I thought I was so cool <laughs> you have to have some radical empathy with yourself radical empathy oh my god I love that term <laughs> are you in therapy am I in therapy no oh okay have you I been? Be? no <laughs> um sure at different times in my life absolutely yeah I have been too yeah. it always it always seems to help usually when I'm in therapy and I'm writing I feel like um, I'm, um, I'm getting rid of stuff in therapy that doesn't get on the page. That's very good. That doesn't get that's on. a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's a good thing. Leave, leave this well, I hope, I'm able, hope I'm able to do that without the therapy. I hope we gotta, I we need to learn that, yeah. 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 We didn't need therapists in the 1890s when we were writing uh, our epic books. Well, we might have. <laughs> <laughs> Probably would have had better books, right? <laughs> or better families right right what um what what is it that surprise do, do your characters surprise you sometimes as you're writing them do you just go 
Whoa, they just did what? Well, I mean, I don't have this kind of idea that my characters exist outside of me. You know, I'm making them. I'm very clear that I'm inventing them. There's, you know, I don't, I, I, I've heard people talk about how their characters run away with it. And I was like, well, I don't have that experience. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in control of them. So do they surprise me? No, but what I feel about the characters is, and I think I've maybe said this before or at least to students or something, but you know, for me, a character, you meet a character and you know very little about them to begin with. And um, just like when you meet somebody at a party, right? And so you, you create a set of, of conceptions about them based on very little information. And, um, and then you meet them again, and then, you, then they do something very contradictory to what you initially thought they were like. And so then your idea of them kind of begins to um, be dimensionalize. And so um, I guess rather than be surprised, I am constantly sort of dimensionalizing my characters and creating new, you know, new ways to view them that make them feel richer and fuller to me and, and hopefully feel more sort of palpable on the page. Um, so yeah, I'd say that's my experience more than feeling like I'm, you know, I've created these these people that are now taking me away on a journey, and I'm at their behest. I don't have that experience. <laughs> right, right. No, I, I um, sometimes I get sometimes I don't want to put them through things through conflict because I feel you do bad. Or you, for don't. Them. you do or you don't. I don't want to because oh. I feel bad for them, and I and so and I but I recognize that, and I know I'm avoiding the conflict, and then I'm like, now I got to steer into this. Now they have to go to the scary place. Yeah, I, I don't have that problem. You know, you got to put them uh, in, in, in certain pressurized situations so that they can um, sort of have some new awareness, right? I mean, you want to start out with a character having a set of assumptions. I mean, the mysteries is a good example. I mean, it's, the mysteries is all about sort of coming of age at various ages, coming to new awarenesses. And, um, you know, unless they have situations which are pressurized, which cause them to sort of recalibrate their approach to what their lives or what they think their lives are about or what they think their understanding of their lives are about, then there's kind of not a novel. So um, I'm, not, I'm not too worried about doing that. I like that. It's, I, I've done, I, I, was, I was talking to students because uh, I, I do a library workshop once a month and I, uh -huh. I came up with this new thing about, okay, when was the last time you were with a drunk friend and they did something really stupid? So then the, everyone had that drunk friend right away, you know? And, um, and I was like, and did you tell them don't make a scene? <clears throat> well, as writers, we need to make, make a scene. Make a scene, yeah. Make a scene, we, that's a good <laughs> In real life, we don't want to make a scene. We want that we just don't make a scene, but in, on the page, make a scene. Make that's, it, that's, make a great, that's a great thing. Yeah, that, that's a great idea. Thanks. I came up with it this week. I was pretty proud of myself. Very well done. Very well done. <laughs> I, was I was happy for about 10 seconds. It was amazing. <laughs> you teach as well, right? I do. I teach in an MFA program called the Program for Writers. It's at Warren Wilson College, and it's a wonderful program. It's actually where I got my MFA, so I'm oh. I, I'm teaching there now. So, which is great, yeah. And then I do some one-off teaching, some you know workshop teaching and stuff like that. Um, but I like it. I mean, I like both being able to sort of articulate the craft from a really analytical point of view, and then I like to jettison the analysis and get back to a more intuitive writing self and. Um, hopefully some of that craft stuff is in my muscles. Um, but I, but I, like, I like being able to articulate it and I really love working with students. I really love um, 
helping them to try to figure out their voices and how to manipulate craft to create the stories that they want to tell. It's really fun for me. Were you a good MFA student that your first novel was written there? Um, I think the first like three quarters of my first collection was written there. But, um, and then it took a couple more years and, um, and then I had my first story collection. But um, yeah, I know those people that come out with their first novel, that's pretty good because, you know. And I also know people who didn't do anything and I'm like, bad idea. Yeah, well, waste of money. But. Know, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it's just weird because we, I, mean, I just, I love it that we just tell stories all day. Mm-hmm. And, then, then we, and then we get paid to like just write stories. Um, yeah, nice. It's a, it's a very, it's a very lucky profession. It's very lovely. Yeah. Yeah. The question is what to write stories about. What's, what makes, what moves you, you know, what, what, and, you know, I, I can't really write something until I feel like I have a real, there's something in me that can't not write that story. So like in the case of the mysteries, you know, I, I, there was something in me that couldn't stop writing about this one character, this little girl this seven-year-old girl who, along with a group of other people, sort of encounters a, a tragic situation and then they all sort of have, have to recalibrate their lives in respect to, with respect to that. But this voice of this one little girl, I just thought I can't let her go. And as hard as the book was to write at times, I could never let this kind of vexing, ferocious, um, willful, uh, um, I don't know, I loved her. Um, little girl go. I couldn't not follow her through this experience. So I think until I feel that way about an idea, I, I, I can't write. I have to feel like I can't not write it. That's, I love that. It's perfect way to say it. Or it's, it, it's almost scary. It's, it's almost like falling in love where you're just like, it scares you and you're like, uh-uh, no, can't do this. Can't do this. And then all you want to do is throw up and you're like, oh crap, I think it's love. <laughs> Well, it, it's whenever you think of not doing it, and then you think, I can't not do it. I have to do it. I have to figure this out. I have, have to do, have to go through all this, you know, challenge in order to figure out how to make this work because I can't let it go. So, you know, but if you have an idea that you can let go, then you should let it go, probably. Very true. But I think we'll make something powerful when you read it is you can feel the author's um sort of propulsive intensity about the idea, even if it's written coolly or if it's written and, you know, it, it, but if you, you can feel the, the necessity, the, the, the author's necessity, the, the, their need to get this down in one form or another, I think you really can. And I, and I think that's for me, what makes a, a book, part of what makes a book really successful is having that sense that there's an urgency here to tell this story. That, yeah, it makes, it's, it's so, and then you, there's almost that, like, I hate it when uh, writers are too clever and they're being more clever than they are, like, finding the authentic truth. Right. And it's, it's so, you know, it's, and sometimes it's, e I love it when people are just like, oh my God, this is such an easy read. This must have been easy to do. And you're just like, no, 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 no you have no idea. That's the one that took, you know, 10 yeah, years. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, easy, easy is deceptive. Easy yeah. is deceptive. That's good. Although you always think as an author, you always think, aren't there those people that just sit down and it all pours out of them? And then, you know, I think we all have that fantasy author in our mind sort of looming over us at the like this eminence grease, but I don't actually know too many of those people. 
you know, for whom it all spills out easily and beautifully formed and doesn't take a bit of hair pulling to, to get yeah. it on the page. Yeah. And there's a loveliness to the hair pulling because, you know, even there's a loveliness to those days when it, we're really like just going, oh crap, this is terrible. Cause we get to, I just, I, I've understood being, you know, joining the club of, of crazy writers. I've understood it's just nice to be in the club that other people understand. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that before. It's yeah. and then, like when they used to come to me and I'd be like, oh, great book. Yeah, that's, and they just be like, oh. And then now, <laughs> now I know what that is. I'm like, oh, wow. It's, wow, that's what it is. Yeah, it's good to have people who understand how hard it is to make something look easy. Yeah. 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 But it's, and also good to have people who can sort of give you a pointer or two along the way from a, a knowledge base of having written and maybe been there, done that, that can, can kick you into gear a little bit or can shake, shake up when you're stuck, it shakes you up or, you know, it's great to have a, a community like that. What, what, what do you have any, uh, do you remember any times when uh, you had that experience and someone? Well, sure. I mean, I've had, you know, in, in different, different books to have, I've had different readers, you know, with, with me along on the journey. And, um, you know, sometimes people, and sometimes people say something that just really, you, they, their read of it opens up my idea of what the book is, you know, because you have a certain idea of what you're doing. And then when somebody else has a read of it that has maybe a different dimension or a different, you know, angle of vision, it sort of opens up new ideas. So for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, a, I don't have like a writing group per se, the way a lot of people do, but I definitely have friends who have been more or less involved with different books and I it's a wonderful thing it's like a it's it's a gift to have those sorts of people in your life yeah and, and you do it for your writer friends as well I'm sure if asked absolutely I mean I love it I love being asked to read drafts and sort of going into it and you know bringing my you know my my self to bear on another person's work it's really fun yeah yeah and it's I imagine yeah it's like being a, a little bit of an editor, being a little bit of a, you know. So yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah, and I, I mean, actually just, um, I, I, I lost my thought. It's COVID. You know, I, I don't only lose thoughts, I've lost words. I've, there's some words I've tried to pronounce I can't pronounce anymore sometimes. I was... That could be COVID or that could just be age. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to blame it on something outside of me. <laughs> Yeah, I think it might just be age. Yeah, little little atrophy of the brain cells. <laughs> you got to um, reach for that thesaurus a little bit more than you used to. Oh no! Um, when before you were a writer, did you ever go to the bookstore and see where you would have been in the bookstore on the shelf? You know, I had one really kind of. It was profound to me. It's not a profound experience, but it was profound to me when I was when I finished my MFA and I was not yet, had not yet sold my first book. And I was in that moment of, you know, after you get out of an MFA program where you've had all this wonderful structure and these teachers who have been by your side, you know, working with you, you're sort of suddenly out there on your own. And you think, okay, now what, now how do I do this? And I remember I walked into one of these big bookstores like a Barnes and Nobles or something. And I, and I suddenly thought, you know, there's, I don't know how many books are in a Barnes and Nobles, hundreds of thousands, maybe, I don't know, thousands and thousands and thousands of books in this store. And I said, some of them are great and some of them are horrible. 
And I said, I bet my book fits in somewhere between great and horrible. And, and it really was, it was like this dumb moment that kind of gave me courage. And I can't exactly explain why, uh-oh, my dog's at the door, hold on. All right, the dog is back. The dog is back. So the dog went on a walk. Uh, the dog went on a walk and he has returned. What kind of dog do you and have? I have a, a dog who's called a Belgian Malinois. Mm. And um, he's a big dog and he, he doesn't really have an off switch. So oh. there is no amount of walking that he cannot do. So, you know, between me, my husband, anybody who will walk him, neighbors, that's what we do. Keeps you in shape. What? It keeps you in shape? Uh, well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> keeps him in shape. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Um, uh, and it's, yeah, and, and then uh, I'm, I'm calling it COVID. I'm not calling it old age. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. When I okay. lose. <laughs> no, no, it's, that's, a, that's a huge problem because then you're, what you're doing is you're blaming things that are on the outside when actually you should be taking responsibility for yourself. Right. Well, yeah, although I think we can all blame COVID for a lot this year. I think COVID deserves all the blame it can get. How do you, how, you I just got my second vaccine. Good. I'm glad. And how do you, I mean, and I'm excited, how, but I'm also nervous because I haven't really hung up with my friends on the- I know. Isn't it weird? It's like, it's, it's well, I mean, they're, they, you know, we shouldn't be just diving back in willy-nilly. I mean, that's, that's what they're telling us, but it is going to be very hard to sort of come back to some feeling of ease about all the things that we used to take for granted. I think it's going to be really hard. I mean, for some, maybe less for some people, depending on your age or whatever, but I think it's, you know, we've all, it's been a year. I think you're, you get really, your habits really change and your sense of safety and your is, is very, very different. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, it'll be really, when will I want to go sit in a crowded movie theater again? I'm not sure. I know it's yeah, and that was my my daily routine was usually work on work on writing in the morning with my coffee, go see a mm -hmm. matinee, and then edit after the matinee. Wow, that's a really fun life. <laughs> I, I was having a nervous breakdown, one of many, but this was like three or four years ago, and I was walking to a cafe with my book and my notepad. And I was just like, I just thought I was just going, everything has gone wrong. I've done nothing right. It was one of those days, right? Mm -hmm. As I'm walking to the cafe with my book and a notepad. And I'm like, dude, this is, yeah. this is what you wanted 25 years ago. You were like, this is all you wanted, the book and the notepad at a cafe. What are you thinking? You're there. You're there. Yeah, yeah I know. You have to sometimes remind yourself that we're very lucky to get to do what we're, we do. And anybody who gets to do the thing that they love right? That, that's the stroke of luck. So. Yeah. And then there's and part of me, I, you know, they, I, part of me feels guilty because I come from a working class family, you know, so it's mm -hmm. just like that would, they, you know, they made me feel bad for even wanting to do something like this. Cause right. they, like get a union job. What are you doing? You're wasting your life. You're wasting your life. They were right. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's hard. That's really hard because um, you know, it's very hard sometimes when you're you know, you are an artist or you're making art it's you don't always have any validation or yeah. and and so it's hard for other people sometimes to 
credit what you're doing as being useful, um, especially, you know, so you have to, again, it goes back to having some faith in yourself, despite, despite what it looks like. Yeah, and like what you were talking about earlier, the, the can't not writing. I think that's the, that's the key. It's just right. we can't not. It's, right. There's no other choice. Right. Right. Yeah. Quit your day job. That's my advice <laughs> to everyone. Just quit your day job. <laughs> um, when you were young, did you know, were you drawn to writing or drawn to reading? How, how, um, you know what, when, I was, when I was very young, I was a terrible reader. I was, I was, and I didn't read. I was not a good reader. And I had, I grew up in a family where everyone were, you know, was a voracious reader and, um, and I wasn't. And so I considered, my, and also everybody else in my family wore glasses and I didn't. And so I, assumed that meant because I wasn't a reader and I didn't wear glasses I thought it meant that I was stupid so oh. I I uh I, I felt that for quite a while and I was like a, a super daydreamer like I was I would sit in chairs and just you know make up stories and daydream and then my father would walk into the room and he'd say why aren't you reading a book and I would then you know feel chagrined and um and so I didn't come to reading until really I mean, I read some stuff in my, you know, teen, early teens, but it wasn't until, you know, kind of 14-ish that I started to read and I got turned on by short stories. And I think the reason I got turned on to them was because they were short and, and I could read them. So I, I, I um, had a sense of, you know, completion and satisfaction that I could sit down and read a story and I read it. And it was, I think I just had trouble with the length of a novel or I don't know what it was. It was just hard for me. So that was what kind of got me into it was, you know, Fitzgerald and Hemingway and, and Raymond Carver and Eudora Welting and Flannery O'Connor. And, and those were the things that I started reading at first. And those were my first sort of successful reading experiences. And then I got kind of hooked and went from there. But um, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I started out my, my working life as a film director. And mm -hmm. so I didn't, and, and it wasn't until, and I started early, I started making movies when I was like 22. And then when I got to be 30 and I'd made a bunch of films, I suddenly thought, mm, this, I wanna write, this isn't what I wanna be doing. And so that's when I, I stopped and I went to graduate school and, and started my writing life. So uh, as a director, were you thinking I should write screenplays or, why, or did you go directly to uh, <laughs> I I went directly to directing. Um, I wrote my first screenplay and directed it, but, um, yeah, I, I, I just started directing um, and it was, you know, it was great, but I was, um, you, know, you know, filmmaking is a, is a much more communal effort than writing. And I think that um, although it, it's wonderful to work with other people and have that kind of shared artistic endeavor, I think I was much more suited to sitting in my room by myself and having people, no one talk to me. So I think that um, writing suits me more. That's kind of a really big decision because if you if you were doing film and you were thirty, it was kind of like you were just getting your groove going as a director, and then to shift that it's that that feels kind of big to me. It was big, um, and I think that I was lucky because I had you know enough. I had made enough money that I could afford to send myself to graduate school. And I was married by that point. And so I, we had a double income. I mean, a lot of it's just financial, right? The kinds of moves that you can make. So we were, um, you know, my husband was able to support me and 
or support us as a, as a couple while I went to graduate school. And, but I think it was, it was both, a, it was, it, it didn't feel brave at the time. It felt um, necessary. I just had this like searing feeling like, you know what I'm doing, I'm in a field that is exciting and it is um, by all standards, you know, what a lot of people would think of as being a really excellent thing to do, direct movies. But, it, but I wasn't happy and I wasn't making the kinds of aesthetic choices that I wanted to make because a lot of it was a little bit of group think when, when you have people giving you millions of dollars to make a movie, you don't always get to make the choices that you wanna make, especially when you're just, you know, in the early years of your career. And I felt really, <coughs> excuse me, strongly that it was, I wasn't doing the thing I wanted to do. So in that sense, it was kind of obvious, you know, it was, and I, and it was, you know, before kids. So there was a certain latitude. I could make that decision. Um, so, so it, it felt like a, a really good one. It felt like the right one. It felt like, you know, a necessary one. Have you, have you um, thought with one of your stories, have you went, have you ever thought and go ever thought and went, Oh, I want to direct this. I want to see this on the screen. Not, not by a long shot. Wow. Like I, first of all, I'm, I'm very far away from, you know, wanting to, to, to make movies, but um, no, I mean, you know, my goal has been to become a writer and, and not to become a writer that turns their stuff back into movie. You know, it's like, I'm not coming at it. I, you know, I think because I had made movies for a while, <clears throat> I was kind of wanting to put that aside and really focus on writing as, you know, as literature and not as a, um, a kind of property to be made into a movie. So I think in some ways, maybe even less than other writers, do I have any wow. urge to do that? I mean, I'm happy if somebody wants to turn my stuff into a movie or a TV, whatever, but I don't really have any interest in doing it. And, and, and as writers, <laughs> we, we don't have craft services. Um, well, we don't have craft services, but we have our refrigerator. Literally, I'm staring <laughs> at it. So, you know. <laughs> Who needs craft services when you can? Um, so yeah, no craft services, but also not a lot of people asking you questions all day long. And um, I'm just better suited to being by myself. I like people, but I like to create by myself. Yeah, it, uh, I, the film uh, process is more like war. It feels like war. And sometimes I wanna go back to that. Well, I mean, I don't know that I would equate it with war, but it's a, um, you know, when people win awards and they always talk about how wonderful the collaborative experience is. And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It is collaborative. And I'm really happy not to be doing that. It was really fun. I really liked doing it when I did it. And then I was really ready to change. And I'm so grateful that I made the change, you know, and, and that I, took the plunge and, and trusted myself enough to do that. Maybe that's what it is. It's not bravery. Maybe it's just a little bit of self, of faith in oneself. I like that. Well, I, um, you know how they put at the end of movies, no animals were harmed dur during the filming. Right. I always, always want to see no feelings were hurt during the filming of this movie. <laughs> when, um, they, when they can put that banner on, I'll be like, wow, how did that happen? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that should be the case, right? It should be the case. Maybe at the end of books, we should have disclaimers like that. 
Oh my God. Yeah. In our minds, like what happened, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I had an earache during this, uh, when writing this chapter. Right. <laughs> I had a debilitating uh, vertigo when I was writing this chapter. There, there was one time I had to do a rewrite and, um, you know, this was over 10 years ago, but it, it's, it took me to a, such an emotional low. I was like waking up and drinking a six pack of beer just to get through that week. <laughs> It was like, yeah, it was, that was very unhealthy, uh, but, but it was, it, I had to take this character to a place I didn't want to take it and it tore me apart, you know? And so, so I could, I could say um, on, you know, on that, that uh, some liver was damaged during the. Ah, okay. During the, during the making of this. Yeah. I think that's probably a disclaimer for a lot of novelists, certainly of your. Yeah. Right? Kind of, you know, prototypical hard drinking novelist. Right. But um yeah, I don't have I don't have trouble taking my characters to dark places. You're more you you have more sympathy with your characters, maybe. Uh, yeah, or or maybe I'm codependent, and I, and it bleeds on the. Codependent. I'm not codependent on so I I I don't feel. I don't feel. I mean, I I I, I my goal is to make their experience as you know, real and palpable and rich and revelatory as possible, but I don't feel bad for sticking them in bad situations. Yeah. And a little, maybe I'm a little, uh, a, a little scientific about it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting too, because as a director, you're creating story on such a different level. So there is, a, there is lots of similarities to. From what I, similarities. I mean, what's different, obviously, um, is that when you're making a film, it's the actors who embody the characters. So in as much as you think <clears throat> they may be one way and you've cast an actor who embodies a certain thing that you perceive and you're, you, you imagine the actor then takes it away and it becomes the actor's creation. So, um, you know, in that sense, it's, it's quite different. And obvious, but, but there's a lot of the craft issues which are really similar. You know, when you think about <coughs> narrative distance or, you know, um, and, and then you think about uh, shots and the distance, you know, are, are we at a wide shot or a close up or, you know, those, those things have, if they're not the same, they at least are, they're correlated. Um, and editing, there's a lot of, you know, stuff that you deal with in editing that you deal with in, in structuring a novel or, or moving from scene to scene or, you know, how you're dealing with the passage of time. So there's a lot of correlations. I think of it like DJing. I used to DJ at college radio and then I DJed at clubs and bars, dive bars. And it's just like, what's the next record that's going to bring it back? And then so when I'm working on scene work, it's just like, okay, here's the breath. And then we get to the, I'm, I'm trying to keep the dance floor full. That's cool. I love that. That's a great image. That's great. Yeah. And then I moved to LA and I was like, I'll bring all my crates of records down there. And I'm like, they're not going to let a 43 year old man walk into a bar with crates of records and go, I want to be in your music scene. <laughs> so. I don't know, maybe now, maybe things are a little bit more analog now. Maybe there's a, maybe, you know, if there's a place for that, if you really want to, I'm sure you could yeah. find the bar that would let you in there with your records. <laughs> I just, I, but I want to go to bed early these days. I think, I think my <laughs> life has changed. <laughs> like yeah, what? Please. Leave at 2.30 AM? No, yeah. no been there done that yeah, yeah exactly the, um you know you've so you've had a long marriage how does that work oh my god now we're suddenly personal oh yeah um, 
Why don't I talk about my well, marriage? <laughs> well, I, well, I'm divorced. I, my marriage lasted 13 years. And then, and I wish, you know, I wish it was all a different situation. And it, I could have been with the person that where we could have taken the whole journey. And I know mm-hmm. why we couldn't take the whole journey. So I adore longevity in relationships. And so that's, that's, that's why I ask. It's, oh, well, I'm not gonna talk about my marriage, but I will talk about my parents' marriage. Yeah. And that was a long one. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's wonderful to, to see, uh, to, to be a witness to something that goes through that much change intact. Um, I don't know. So yeah, but that's a star logo. Okay. Anyway. We have to leave my husband out of it. He gets to live his own life. <laughs> okay. um, I, I have a feeling I, I probably should know who your husband is and I didn't look it up. So it's, you, it's oh, well, you don't need to know who my husband is. You don't need to know who my husband is. Okay. I know that's all we need. That's okay, all. good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just adore like, one of my friends. He had his, um, a couple years ago, he had, him and his wife had his 30th anniversary party. And it's just like, wonderful and there was about 25 of us and I told him I was like you know what I'm glad I met you now because I don't think I would have given a crap about your wedding even though it probably had hundreds and hundreds of people but this is more important than your wedding this this is what this is where the guts are at this is where the yeah kind of amazing I mean listen life goes in all different ways and you know you you just can't anticipate whether you'll be with somebody for five years or 20 years or 40 years but um and and you know what there's there, there's, I mean, forget about, you know, forgetting the heartbreak that might go into a breakup. Um, you know, people have a marriage and then they break up and then they have another relationship or, or they have another adventure and it's like, they're thrilled. They're, they, it's, a, it's a rich life. So yeah. there's no, there's no one way to, to do it. And, um, <clears throat> but anyway, there you go. Yeah. Uh, I was, it was, it was fun to write it. I, there's two marriages in, in the mysteries and it was very fun to write about two marriages. It was very, I actually think that marriage is hard to write about. It's hard to understand. Well, in the same way that it's hard to understand why your friends are married, you know, I mean, you can understand why you're married maybe, but when you look at your friends' relationships, you can, you know, it's hard to figure out what makes them tick if you're not inside of it. So it was, it was fun to write about marriages and try to convey what makes marriages tick, even when people are prickly or unkind, or there's something terrible that happened, or there's arguments. It's interesting to try to convey on the page why people choose to be together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's heartbreak in marriage, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's, it kind of comes with, well, from my, from what my experience, I'm not saying about your experience, but from my experience, you know, it, it kind of feels like there should be a little heartbreak. It kind of keeps it, it, it keeps the, the ship moving in an authentic way. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure. Or I'm losing my mind. I mean, I think everybody has a different, you know, some people really thrive on a kind of highly charged emotional life. Some people oh. thrive on a kind of, you know, tapioca pudding emotional life and anywhere in between, you know, but, you know, I have friends who need, seem to need to stir up stuff, right? It needs to always be stirred up in order for them to feel that there's this kind of emotional juice or, and, um, you know, that's not my way, but, but it's, but they're happy and, you know, happy even if they're in a state of turmoil it's it's what makes them feel alive or makes makes them feel connected so it's kind of like a status quo where it's it's kind of like um 
you know, some people, people need that energy is to keep a level play or, you know, some people do and some people don't. So it's, yeah. you know, I like naps. So. <laughs> <laughs> that can be like on your tombstone. I <laughs> like naps. <laughs> that's my epitaph <laughs> and even during COVID I remembered that word Marissa thank you so much for coming on the show on that note let's go take a nap <laughs> thank you it's great to talk to you Marissa Silver on Drinks with Tony check out her new book The Mysteries and come back next week when I talk to Aaron Carnes about his new book In Defense of Ska pick it up pick it up pick it up pick it up Have a great weekend, and I'll see you next week on Drinks with Tony. Thanks for listening to Drinks with Tony. You are on your radio dial at 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.